Hey, welcome back to the Jesus Magnet Podcast. Today we have myself, Joel Hillary, George Pope, and Mark Hillary. How you guys doing? Uh, good, thanks, Joel. Yeah, great, Joel. Awesome. Uh, thank you, Mark, for coming back on the podcast with us. Um, you had an incredible episode on episode 36. And um, if you haven't checked that out, go and check it out. It has a bit of an overview of um, uh, Mark's life. And um, today we have uh, Dad's, Mark's my dad, and um, he's going to zoom in on one small portion. Well, it's a massive portion of your life, really. Um, And uh, we're all very excited to hear it. Um, It's something that I've been able to witness myself um a lot of it and um yeah uh very very excited thanks for coming on dad thanks for having me joel and george mm, you're welcome yeah um i was just wanting to talk about one particular event in our life but sometimes we have events that particularly change our life what life-changing events and this one particularly changed my life, changed the life of my wife and children and the way that we had to do things. So, um, but firstly, I'd just like to acknowledge, um, acknowledge your listeners for spending your time and listening, realise that it's valuable and really appreciate the time that you do that. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. The listeners are... Uh, quite incredible um, at sticking with us through every testimony and every yeah. discussion that we have. Um, and yeah, thank you for continuing on the journey. And uh, yeah, carry on, Dad. Well, firstly, before we before we have a situation, we find that um, God prepares us each time we each time we read a word or we seek His voice. We sit under wisdom or we seek wisdom and understanding. It builds something inside of us. It builds us reserves, strength, stamina, capacity, and ability to understand each other and others. And to be honest, in most respects, God had prepared me well for the year that was ahead. I had years of sitting under good wisdom and counsel in churches. People had poured wisdom into me, and many people had, um, not only in church, but in different areas as well, different um, friends, people I've worked with, have been very generous with their input into my life. Hmm. Therefore, to be in a life-changing, life-threatening situation, I feel as though I was well prepared. I knew that I couldn't lose. Boxing Day 2001, early afternoon. There was a loud bang. I remember floating along in what seemed like a yellow liquid. It had, um, I was in a van with my oldest son, 
when the vehicle stopped. There was then there was the blood and the pain. My knee was crushed inside the steering column. Well, my the key was inside my knee. My left leg was broken. Vans don't give a lot of protection. I could see see my son Josek. Was he okay? What happened? Where was I? I remember telling him to pick up the phone, dial 111, tell him we're just south of Amarama and describe what you can see. That is what he did. The situation, broken leg, crushed knee. My arm was out the window and it was degloved, which means the Russell muscles had been ripped off the top end of it. The left side of the left side of my head had received most of the impact. My left eye was missing, and my brain was exposed. Lorraine, a medic, following in the car, had wrapped wrapped my head in a standard standbyers t-shirt. The ambulance arrived, and then the chopper. Someone drove ahead to find Jules and the two younger sons, Marcus and Joel. That was the situation. I was flying to Dunedin Hospital and the medical notes show that I had no chance of survival. My head my head soon swelled so much that I couldn't see what I was couldn't see anything. The eye that was left was completely covered by the my swollen head. And my parents had been asked to come and give permission to turn the machines off because they couldn't get hold of Julie and the other boys. At that point, you realise life life had changed. Life was now different. Everything was going to be done differently. Our decisions were different. Our, the places we went were different. The year ahead was going to be hard. I had to learn to walk again, learn to speak properly, learn to learn. I had to rediscover who I was. I had to cope. I had to cope with a whole new life. When the doctors tell you you can't work again, you have to change your perspective. You have to change almost who you are. Mark, the architectural designer, technically no longer existed. Now it was Mark, the one-eyed, brain-damaged, broken person. And I had to deal with who I was. But the reality was, I knew who I was. I knew that I was the Son of God, part of the Bride of Christ. I knew that God had this. I knew that He, regardless of what it looked like, regardless of what was hid, He had this. 
he would have the right doctors, he would have the right nurses, he would have the right people to gather us up, he would have the right friends, counsel. He would have the strength to carry us through. I remember my daughter-in-law saying on one of the podcasts about our son that sometimes you've just got to rest in God. Sometimes you've just got to rest and let other people do the praying. And even though I knew these things, I had total confidence, as ridiculous as it was, I used to say to people, it's okay, Andy, I'll be back at work in three weeks, six weeks tops. Looking at me, he must have laughed. He must have, like, when I first saw the mirror, I couldn't even recognise myself. I couldn't write anything. I couldn't read anything for a while because I couldn't see. The the fatigue that followed is something that still follows me today. And um, But it was time to draw down on the capacity that God had already put in me. The word that I'd already read, I could now ponder. The things that people had put into me was now it was was it true is Christ really going to carry me through this is it true that he gives it puts us in situations that he won't put us in situations that we can't handle is it true that we will have the strength the wisdom, the understanding for this particular situation. And I can only but look back and see that what he had planted in me prior and during that period has carried us and our family to a place that way ahead of where we were at the time. See, we were living in a schoolhouse, rented schoolhouse. Julie was teaching about 60 hours a week. She was working in, I was drafting in the living room between during the school hours, up at 3 o'clock in the morning, doing all my conceptual work, do all the housework before 9, before the clients arrived, consult, from nine till three, and go and pick up my boys. That was our life. We had a Subaru station wagon and a pop-top camper, and we did our best to survive from week to week. We had a little bit of property, but we couldn't build on it. So. And we'd have bought an old house in Invercargill that we were going to transport up to one of our sites, but it wouldn't fit, so... We had a little bit up our sleeve, but not not a lot. And then suddenly, both Julie and I had to stop work. We both had to... I was unable to, and Jules needed to look after me. There was two to three trips to Dunedin per week. 
to see doctors. There was operations on my face to make me look a little bit better. Try and put a prosthetic eye in on my left where my left eye was. There were issues with the loss of brain fluid through my nose where they had to reoperate and um, move my brain back and put in a, a little bone graft and then pop it all back together again and sew my head back together again. There were operations when they had to release the pressure on my spinal cord because my neck had been crushed in four places and every time I tilted forward I lost the power in my legs. Correction time just seemed to take years and years and forever. You can't drive, you can't walk very far. But they, like, trying to get into town, I was just so surprised that every time I stepped out onto the road and put my thumb out, I would be picked up within minutes. Every time God provided for months, I would just... We were, we were living in the country, I'd just walk out to the end of the drive, start walking, and somebody would pick me up. The whole community, it felt like, had gathered around us, had picked us up, and I could get, I seemed to be getting places faster than I could in my own car. I didn't have to park anything, I didn't have to think about it, I didn't have to drive. God had placed us in such a beautiful place. And then we could... We had the ability to build. People around us still poured their wisdom into us. They poured their their help and their understanding. There were people like Don Mann who really got in and helped Julie and I out with our financial systems, our financial thinking. Andy Stevens, with his wisdom and understanding, led us through how to do development and how to set things up. It was just amazing who God plants around you when you need it. And I could almost rest in the confidence that God had this. Ever since then, I've just had this overwhelming confidence that God has this, whether it's a global pandemic, whether it's any of the projects that we've taken on in the past. And... If you're lying in a hospital bed and you're wondering, how am I going to cope? How am I going to so support my family? How am I going to learn to live with the, the new life that I've just found myself in? Rest assured that God has this. Just ask him... To come into your life, whether refresh or for the first time, that he will provide. He has this. Whether you live or die, he's still got it. And for me, that confidence is just, every day I'm constantly reminded. Before I, when I had two eyes and a and not brain damaged. When I had everything, I had nothing. We were living in a schoolhouse. We were working 
40, 50, 60 hours a week. We took our weekends, we would head off and do a little bit of camping, we would go to church on a Sunday. But now our God has given us so much. He has given us a beautiful home of our own and a beautiful location. The people that he put around us, the wisdom that we that was poured into us helped us with investment when we when you can't work, how do you make money without working? It's a good question. Mm. Especially when the option to work is not available. It's one question one way, asking that question when you can't work. It just seems to be a secondary option, but when you can't work, it's a question of desperation. It's a question of, is it possible? It has to be possible. I have to do this thing. So Don led us into the investment market. Andy taught us how to build for yourself. The... The psychologists that helped us and the the occupational therapists and the physiotherapists that you seem to be constantly bombarded with after a situation like that realised they taught you how to think for yourself, how to prioritise your time, how to value your time. One thing, for example, was... I decided that I had to value my time. I was down to about four to six hours awake a day in the beginning. And every waking hour I seemed to be at a doctor or at a physio or at an occupational therapist or a psychologist. There were so many of it. Or I was travelling to Dunedin to have another operation or another appointment or another assessment or another scan or another whatever it was. Of course, during this time, I was still coping with my asthma. I had occupational asthma, which gives me an attack every four to six hours. And God just had this. So I valued my time. I decided that my time was worth $100 an hour. So if I'm awake... I have to input $100 an hour into myself. If I was to spend time with someone, it had to be worth $100 an hour. It was a coping mechanism so that I didn't waste my five to six hours sitting on the couch, so that I didn't waste my time spending on the phone or gazing out the window, not not improving. I remember... A psychologist, Roger, he was, come to interview me for a start, his first appointment. He said, Mark, is there anything I need to know? I said, Roger. I said, I decided to up the ante a bit. I said, Roger, unless you can deliver me $120 an hour worth of value. I said, I don't care what you get paid. I don't care who pays you. I said, but unless you can deliver me $120 an hour worth of value, 
don't come. And he looked at me and he said, are you serious? And I said, yep. I said, I only have six hours a week. I don't want to waste one of them with you if you're not delivering $120 worth an hour. See, time with God is valuable. It's not something to be taken for granted. You're spending time with the most creative, wise, understanding person that you could ever spend time with. And it is worth way more than 120 bucks an hour. So if you learn to value your time, you'll get more out of every hour that you have, whether you're sitting in church, whether you're talking to someone. It caused me to cut out a lot of the dead wood out of my wife life. <laughs> <laughs> Slight slip there, but yeah, you, we know what you mean, Mark. Yeah. It's okay, Julie. <laughs> Sorry, Jules. It's <laughs> cold. <laughs> but cutting that dead wood out gave me more time for the valuable things, for the people who were putting into my life. It gave me more time with my family, with my boys, with Jules, doing the things that were valuable. Sometimes things might not seem valuable, but those hours in the park playing hide-and-seek with the kids on a Tuesday night... Might not seem like worth 120 bucks an hour, but it was to them, and it was to me. Mm. Sometimes it's not about the dollar; it's about the value, is what I'm trying to say. Mm. Yeah. And so, if you're lying in the hospital bed, you're wondering what's going on. You're going to be short on time, so your time is worth at least 120 an hour. Now, you, just to clarify, um, that 120 dollars an hour is not what people are receiving for their time it's what they're valuing their time at yeah so they want to gain that amount of information and you said this in the last podcast um a similar uh the hundred dollars an hour and when you would go to church you would receive you would make sure that you listened and took notes and made that service worth a hundred dollars an hour every time you were there yeah yes it's the the thing is, when you value your time, the onus changes from the teacher to teach you mm. to the student learning, is there to learn. Um, the difference between being taught and learning is huge. And if you are there to learn, you're going to get the value out of whoever is there. And the onus is on you, not the teacher. Mm. So it's about taking responsibility. But, you know, I just... The the recovery period was also valuable. Like the amount of people that came along that you could actually talk to. People would stop and they would listen. And you make the most of that time by sharing what's going on in your heart. Like... You have a captive audience. Tell people the truth. Tell people that God's got this. I would, if I had it again, I think I would want to take advantage of those situations that you find yourself with. Somebody who's bandaging you up and they say, hey, how are you today? And you can either say, well, I've got a crook back or I've got a 
bit of a headache or you can say, look, to be perfectly honest, God's got this. I've got nothing to worry about. Mm. And because that was the truth, that's what happened. Whether you had a whether you had a headache or a sore back was not very relevant. What was relevant is that God had this, mm. and that has carried us through other events in our life. Whether we're in the middle of a construction project, or whether it's my wife or my grandson or any of my children are, are crook um, are not well, or whether you're going into a global pandemic or whether you're stuck overseas and can't get home like one of my friends at the moment, you just have to keep a reassuring them that mm. God, God's got this. It's fine. You know, just find the beauty in where you are and just look for Christ in every situation and you'll find it. So, so Mark, going back before your accident, pre-accident, you mentioned that you were in church a lot and you received a lot of wisdom. Was there anything looking back now that you can kind of pinpoint, maybe a scripture or maybe there was a sermon message that kind of boosted your faith to get you through that time? Was there anything in particular that stood out? The things that in particular stood out when looking back, there, there's obviously lots of... Um, you can say, oh, well, you can look at Proverbs where it says, hear the instruction of a father, uh, listen to the wisdom. But to be honest, it's people's testimonies that really spoke to me. Mm. When people actually share from their heart the genuine, the genuine messages that come across, when somebody actually spoke because of their situation it those are the the times that really um really helped me to be honest i was sitting under a lot of technical jargon sometimes sitting in church that i didn't really particularly understand and i think perhaps that does talk to some people but to me when i when I understood that God had taken somebody from a situation, for example, they may have found themselves in a situation where they'd ended up in the sex trade or they ended up as a drug addict or they'd ended up uh, broke from gambling or they'd ended up you know, working their way through some type of... Um, some type of tragedy, their parents or their children, or they've survived cancer, or they weren't hadn't survived cancer, but they were living with it. Those are the things that spoke to me. Was when you can see Christ really working in somebody's life, um, and the you know, like a lot of the you know, at the moment we tend to be under a lot of really solid teaching from Pastor Mike Tonks, from Corey Watson, from um, Pastor Peter Mortlock, and the others that they bring, um, Terry Mortlock, who spent some time with us in the past, and those people that are around, Sid Jones, um, 
these people, they they still continue to pour into our lives. Perhaps it's the level of maturity, perhaps the, it's the time where what is written in the Word has become very important so that we can understand what's going on in our world today. Mm. But when you are listening to that, don't get overwhelmed with it because God's got this. Is All I can say is understand what's going on. Mm. You know, like I hear about those Christians in Afghan that lost their lives today. And it's like God's got that too. Like they'll be in the arms of Jesus. Mm. And they, um, it seems to some that that's stretching the faith, that's stretching what you know. But if I'm wrong, does it really matter? But if I'm right, wow. Mm. And, um, I think it's really important that people understand that God's got it, that it's not on them. Mm. All they have to do is be obedient. All they have to do is tell others about Christ. All they have Mm. to do is feed the poor, feed the hungry, look after the widows, look after the fatherless. That's Mm. what Jesus told us to do, to preach the word, Mm. to love each other, to Mm. be kind. And and that relationship is really how God works. You know, if we've got resources, for example, and you're not using them, what's the point, really? You know, it's... Mm. If you're just holding everything to yourself, then why do you do that? So... One of the scriptures that comes to mind when you're talking about, you know, just know that God's got this and uh, rest in that is Psalm 46 verse 10, which is the Lord speaking. He says, be still and know that I am the Lord. So understanding that um, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. And that you can rest in that. You can rest wholeheartedly in knowing that God's got this every single time. Yeah, it's the more you're looking for it, you're looking to say, hey, has God got this? And you look for what he has achieved. That's what builds the strength, builds the stamina. That's what builds your capacity. That's what builds your faith. That's what builds your ability to believe. That's what grows the mustard seed of faith. Mm. And you, we always only ever find what we're looking for. If you're looking for the negative, if you're looking for the looking for evidence against, that's exactly what you'll find. Because to be honest, it's it's what's in our hearts that we're looking for. Mm. It's not what's out there in the world. It's not the scientific evidence, even though, in my opinion, the scientific evidence is everywhere to confirm that there is a God. It's in every it's in every particle. It's in every electron. It's there. the The form of creation is everywhere around us. 
A good good quote from C.S. Lewis is, I believe in Christianity in the same sense that I believe in the sun. Not that from the sun, not that I can see the sun, but by the sun, I see everything else. Yeah, that's amazing. Yep. Yep. You know, like to, even though it's difficult to believe that we live in a perfect world, the reality is we do. We just live in a perfect world that has fallen. And the imperfect things that we see are the result of sin, are the result of what people have done. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 100%. Um, Thank you for sharing all that, Dad. I mean, everybody listening is probably going, finally, I guess Joel's just not butting in and sharing his thoughts every two seconds and this is this is a guest that i just i really just want to listen you know Mm. and um you dad have you know you're as witty as you are wise and it's one of the coolest things about you such an honor to be called your son and to have sort of witnessed everything that you shared today even though I was younger and and I'm not fully aware um, now that I'm adult I'm an adult I'm able to comprehend um, everything that went through that that you went through um, with the car accident and um, it's definitely developed you into this type of person um, someone who depends on the Lord because they had to, but it was the greatest skill that anybody can learn. And sometimes God will create, not that he creates these events, but these events he uses in our lives to bring us to a, to, what is it? Um, sometimes God allows us to carry so much weight to bring us to our knees. And that's that's when we really find, you know, God to help us in in everything that we do. Yeah, it's, um, I appreciate that, Joel. But if you're out there listening and the relationship between Joel and I, um, I just like sometimes when you are in these situations, you don't do everything right. You make mistakes along the way. Like I was only awake five or six hours a day and sometimes... A lot of the time I was learning to cope with the loss of the eye. With the, I had excruciating pain in my neck. I couldn't walk properly and life was very frustrating. So for the, my older two boys, they, while we lived in the same household, their life growing up was different to what yours was, Joel. And looking back now, I can see that I suddenly become quite hard on my boys because I couldn't see properly if anything was left on the floor, if anything was in my way. And sometimes you take out your frustration on those that are closest to you and then you look back on that and you realise how unfair you've been and how 
un, um, unchristian-like you've been. So it's all very well with the podcast, but when you're sitting here, and yes, God's got this, but in that situation, and if you're you're one of those lying in the hospital beds, you're gonna make you're gonna make mistakes. So I made plenty of mistakes, especially around my especially around my boys. How Joel was only seven when this happened, and Jozak was eleven, nearly twelve. Marcus was nine. Nearly, nearly ten, and I think the the life that they had prior to that, where I was up and able to go camping and bike riding and uh, skiing, all those sort of things, where you got a little bit of that, but as a younger person, you certainly missed out from the time you're seven through to when. I was able to cope a little bit more evenly. So you still have, you know, when you when you lose a limb or you lose an eye or you lose your capacity and like, for example, the brain injury that I had meant was it, you know, I shared last time, but the brain injury that I had was actually the worst thing. It was something that, the type of injury that nobody else in New Zealand has ever returned to work from. It was the type of injury that you have to learn to walk, you have to learn to think, you have to learn to understand. And it was also, the part of my brain that was damaged was the empathy part. And when you are bringing up children, you need empathy. So to lose that, it... really believe it cost you because my ability to deal with things without empathy was extremely difficult and that had empathy had to be learned it was hard on Jules it was hard on you it was hard on the boys and it was hard on those that I was dealing with the the builders that we employed and the and the people who were building our house the next year like the lack of empathy when I walked onto a building site and saw something wrong um, I had no holding back I just told them exactly how it should be done and why it should be done and why we shouldn't be paying for their mistakes and so I was hard to live with during that period so I'm certainly no hero when it comes to that It's changed a lot now though You've got a huge amount of empathy. I mean, yeah. well, it does. You're does the, you're the vegetarian that um, is a vegetarian, not because he loves animals, but because he hates plants. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, you've got a huge amount of empathy now. Almost, it's like God's taught you how to care. Yeah, I um, think- you had to relearn how to how to really focus on your heart. I think the type of empathy is a little bit different because when you when God's had you in his hand for such a long time during your recovery and you know he not only had me but he had our business he had our children he had our education our home our income our 
our, our vehicles, our holidays, everything was in his hand for such a long time. You, your empathy, the empathy that I have today is born out of respect for God, more so than an emotional type of empathy. And But that has grown. Um, the most evident time when I first noticed it was when one of my best friends died on a building site with a heart attack. He just hit the floor and his wife asked if I would take her to see him in the in the morgue and uh, was actually, he was actually in the morgue in the funeral home and so I went there and we I just unzipped the body bag and opened it up and I saw my friend lying there in the body bag and I just looked at him and I thought mate you've had a bad day but there was no tears there was no nothing moving in my heart and I looked at Sue and she was crying and her girls were crying and I took them home and Sue sat in the car until quite late looking for reassurance, looking for something and I just looked at my watch and said, hey Sue, it's getting a bit late, time to go to bed mate, I'll catch you later and it was a few days later I realised that my reaction was so wrong. It was something that I really needed to work on. I was the absolute worst person to take someone to see their dead husband. And um, That's fully changed, though, over the last few years. You know, you had one of your best friends, uh, his son die, and he was the person, he, he wanted you to be with him when he drove. Yeah. Yeah, got... God's healed that, mm. you know. It's um, you know, in my opinion, He has healed everything. Even though I still need to have a sleep in the afternoon, even if I didn't need it, I would probably still say I did. So most sixty-year-olds uh, have that these days, though. <laughs> <laughs> Can't blame the accident forever. <laughs> I'm in my late fifties for a late fifties for like two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it has definitely changed. God has healed those areas. Mm. and um, But I'd just like to say, Joel, that um, I appreciate the relationship that we have now because those years, I know were hard on you in particular and made your life more difficult because your dad changed overnight. Your dad went from being someone who would be able to launch the boat and go for a water ski, someone who'd go camping and biking and playing hide-and-seek in the park, to complaining about crumbs on the floor and everything had to be perfect and there was no real... That's all right. Give or take, you know, yeah. don't give or take. And, um, and that relationship, I think, has been is not only been restored, but is still being restored. You know, like, um, I remember talking to you in a business meeting, and I said 
Joel, I need you to be me. And that's exactly who you are becoming. You are becoming a that person. Am I that irritating? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's, I've learned a lot from you. Um, your wisdom is beyond anything that, you know, anybody that I've really met before. Um, so just lucky enough to have you as my father. And, um, yeah, God's restored everything. And that's probably the main message about this podcast is when if somebody's listening they might have had a an accident or something like that and just to know to be still and know that God's got this he has mm. placed people in times and seasons um for future times and seasons as a um bit of carbon gets pressure on it it turns into a diamond and um we are all just getting pressure over and over and over again and just being refined constantly through the Holy Spirit. And one thing that I would probably take away from listening to your story is um, beyond all else, rest in the Lord. It doesn't matter how bad it gets. It doesn't matter if your your job's taken from you, if your eye's taken from you, if your brain's taken from you. If your kids or your wife or anything is taken from you, still rest in the Lord and know that it's uh, God makes all things, um, God can turn all things that are for good for those who love him. Mm. Um, that's in Romans, I think, somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's 100% all God. And it's very, very cool to have you on the podcast and to join us. Um, did you want to share anything else before we wrap up? I think when you, you know, when I just like to end with when God's got this, like the Holy Spirit has become our business partner. He's the one who guides us. And if you're in a situation when you think, I just don't know what to do, mm. the Holy Spirit does. All you have to do is ask him. And then you have to wait and listen to what he has to say. Read the word. Because that's where, that's what feeds you, and that's what brings the Holy Spirit into your heart. Mm. And so, the to have the Holy Spirit as part of your business, as part of your marriage, as part of your friendships, as part of your your ideas and understanding, it'll carry you so much further than you could ever possibly imagine I know he has it has for me and there's no reason he wouldn't do it for anybody else mm. that's amazing Mark hey thanks very much for sharing that story with us yeah there's a lot of lot of hope and you know, I see the faithfulness of God all through that that's that's incredible and the restoration work that he's done over that period of time just amazing yeah. thanks George uh, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Um, probably the quietest we've ever been. <laughs> hey, George. <laughs> no waffles from Joel around this <laughs> round. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, thank you for coming on, Dad. And um, we're hoping to have you back on again. You've got so much to share and so much to show us. And, yeah, those that are listening, thank you for this episode. And we'll see you next time on The Jesus Magnet.